Today, we have the privilege of chatting with Anik Singhal, a visionary entrepreneur and the driving force behind Learn. Anik's journey is not just a tale of business acumen and success, it's a testament to the power of resilience, learning from failures, and the relentless pursuit of dreams. And from challenging the norms of a traditional career path to overcoming staggering obstacles, his story inspires and educates. And today we're gonna to dive deep into the mind of the man who's turned his passion into a thriving business empire and is now a beacon of hope and guidance for entrepreneurs worldwide. Anik, welcome, it's a pleasure to chat with you. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and uh, yeah, I appreciate the time. Well, maybe I can start by asking you about the moment you realized that entrepreneurship was your true calling. Oh man, you know, it, it, so it's funny because I think there were lots of hints along the way since I was a little kid. Um, I think I realized it thoroughly though when I was already in pre-med, I'm in college, I'm on a full scholarship. I mean, I'm on a one-way ticket to Ivy League med schools. I have my life made and yet there I lay in bed miserable. Um, I couldn't get out of bed every morning. And I'm, when I say I'm made, I mean, I'm literally, I am going to undergrad at one of the best programs in the country that I competed to get into. I have a full scholarship. I'm actually getting paid to go to college. I'm being recruited to go to top Ivy League med schools my freshman year of pre-med. So I'm like, I have it made. And yet I was miserable. And so there was a moment I remember sitting back and on morning, I'm very, I'm a very self-reflective person. I can reflect really well. And I think that's a skill that everyone should develop. And so I asked myself one morning when I just did not want to go to class, I said, when was I the happiest? When have I been the happiest? And I realized going all the way back to when I was a little kid, I was like, I, I misguided, misjudged myself this whole time. I was the happiest when I was doing my own thing. I was the happiest when I was, you know, building a business or being creative and out there creating. And so um, while still in pre-med, I started doing little tinkering or little entrepreneurial projects and I just loved it. And although nothing, none of it was working, um, I eventually took the massive step of just leaving this made for me life all behind. And I, I went to switch universities. I went to study business. And um, I think it was somewhere freshman year early when I started college that I realized it. But then, I mean, you go back to when I was in third grade. And now that I realize that there's clear signs that I was an entrepreneur um, as far back as I can think. Yeah, hindsight can be a good thing, can't it, when you look back on uh, those, those early achievements. What was the initial challenge that you faced, though, when you, when you started out, when you decided that this was, this was your future? Yeah, I think the initial challenge we all face is just lack of knowledge, lack of association, lack of everything, right? You just don't know where to go, who to go to. I don't have entrepreneurs in my, my family at the time. Um, I, didn't know what, I didn't know what I didn't know. And so here I am trying to build a business. What does that mean? There's a gazillion options out there. I have no money. I'm not going to ask my parents. I don't even want to tell anybody that I'm doing this because they're all going to call me crazy. It's not like anyone believes what you believe. And so it's that lonely lack of knowing, yet you're still inspired and you, and you want to figure it out. And then all of that piles on with the fact that you make mistake after mistake after mistake. You make error after error. So you're failing. You don't know who to ask for help. You don't want to tell anybody, yet you still believe. It's this really strange mixture of feelings. Um, and those who survive through that and thrive through that are usually the ones, or not usually, are the ones that succeed. Many, I believe, that have tried to become an entrepreneur get stuck somewhere in those mixture of feelings and can't get past it. Um, and that's where they fall apart. So that was my first biggest challenge was just figuring out 
how do I carve through this massive, right? Here's the thing. If you want to be a doctor, it's a pretty set straight path. Lawyer, path. Engineer, path. Plumber, path. I mean, every profession out there has a clear-cut path. You can Google it, and it tells you boom, 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 boom. Entrepreneurship does not. There is no path. And so that, I think, is the biggest challenge an entrepreneur goes through. And they say that success leaves clues. Did you look up to anybody at this time, Anik? Who, who were your mentors, if you like? Yeah, absolutely. I've had many mentors throughout my entire career, and I feel that mentors – you have some mentors that will be with you forever, but you have some mentors that you will be with you for a period of time and then you actually surpass them. Um, I think the person I looked up to the most was my father. Um, now, he's not an entrepreneur. He's a nuclear mechanical engineer. He's a brilliant man and he's way smarter than I am, but he's in a completely different line. However, here's what's really inspiring. He grew up in a village at one point that had no electricity. He used to study for his school under lampposts, street lampposts. His house had no electricity, candles. And yet, and here's the irony, and yet he went on to, at the end of his career, he's retired now, he was the head of two nuclear power plants in the United States, wow. literally the government head. So he could at any moment's notice shut them down, turn them on, boss them around. <laughs> and I thought that was the most ironic thing. I, I, I Think about it. Someone who grew up studying with no electricity, now overseeing and commanding the electricity that millions of people receive. Um, and I saw where he took our family single-handedly. My mom was mostly stay-at-home. She had a daycare at the house, but it was, it was kind of on and off. And so my dad, and I watched what he did, and I saw the opportunities he gave me. And so I always tell people that even when I do become a billionaire in my life at some point, my success and feats that I achieve will be nowhere near what my father did. I mean, he crossed far, far bigger chasms of success. So I used to look at that and just say, it's upon me to take our family name to the next level and I need to do that. Uh, and then of course in business, I had great mentors at different parts. I, uh, an individual who really made a deep impact in my life in the world of direct marketing and information marketing was Justin Ford, who um, I don't know why saw talent in me and didn't just take me on. He insisted and fought and convinced me to let him mentor me. And he's actually the brother of Mark Ford which many people may not know is, is Michael Masterson, who's arguably one of the best copywriters to have ever lived. So I got the good fortune of being directly mentored and coached by the brother of the best marketer who's ever lived. So, um, you know, those are two people that I think just, I always consistently try to remember and, and give credit to for where I am today. Am I right in thinking that you started out small with like just a $300 investment in your business? Is that, is that correct? It, it was even less. Um, I won a hundred dollars at a Super Bowl game. Um, we, our families, would always come together at Super Bowl, and we would do these guess the score contests, right? So everyone put five, 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 five dollars in the pot. Um, I remember. I think I put five or ten in, and I guess the right score it turned into a hundred dollars. That was the money I had to start my first business. I blew through it in a matter of just days. And then, obviously, being in college, I had my father's credit card, so I was so optimistic and so positive that I kept things going. Except now I was putting money on his credit card that I did not have, and so I blew up another three hundred dollars on top of the hundred. <laughs> um, and and it and at that point I stopped it. And uh, I paid him back through savings that I had, but um, it took me a while after that until I had my first breakthrough. But my first quote unquote business venture online was started with $100 from a Super Bowl game, plus a, let's just say a $300 loan from my father, which completely collapsed, failed, didn't work. However, in the process of all of that, I learned a lot of skills that till this day serve me. 
And from those humble beginnings, if you like, you've grown a massive business. Um, people may recognize you from, from Learn, which became hugely successful. And I know that more recently you've had a few challenges based around that. How comfortable are you, Annick, about talking about that side of things? Oh, I'm an open book, my friend. I talk about absolutely anything that's happened in my life. Never share, never hide anything. Great stuff. Okay. Well, in that case, let's maybe just touch a little bit on Learn, this company that you that you'd grown. Um, tell us about that and going through that process of, of growing such a, a large company and then what happened next? Yeah. So Learn, you know, was a, a culmination of many companies and many ideas and I'll give you the shorter version, but I, I believe, if I could go back, I'm being honest with you, I, I, I don't have regrets. I love every part of my life. I love what I've done, but if I could go back. And I actually, um, it's funny, I wanted to write a book, um, and I think I'm going to write one, which is um, an interview with myself at the age of 40, um, is, is really what I want to call it, which is I turned 40. I want to interview myself. What have I learned? Right? And it's meant to be ideally a book read by 20, 30-year-olds. And... Um, one of the things I would, I would talk to myself about is pick a business idea or pick a type of business that's, that's simple, that can scale, and that 20 years of invested time can turn it into something huge. But pick something that's got a model out there. Unless you've got something truly innovative, like you've invented the next iPhone or you've invented, invented some technology like AI or whatever. If it's not that, pick a model that's simple because the business model I chose was not simple. It was very hard. It was very complicated. Of course, at the time, I didn't know. But it started simple. So it started with me selling information. I took knowledge out of my head. I put it down into some form of written and video format, and I sold it to people. And I started to do very well with that. In doing that, I started to build quite an audience. I had an email list that was high, hyper-responsive. I could generate thousands of clicks and make hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars of sales of products. I would promote someone else's product as an affiliate, and it would work really well, and I'd make you know, a lot of money. So one day I had this idea years ago, 15 plus years ago. I said, what if I were to publish somebody else? So instead of selling them as an affiliate, what if I brought them into my institution, into my company, did all the work, put the course together, published it, sold it to my community, plus also went out and did what I do with other affiliates to get them to sell it. I could make a larger share. And so basically I was becoming a distributor of a publishing house. My now skill set became the fact that I had reach, distribution, market, and I did very well with that. I was able to publish a couple people, make really good money, and um, make them a lot of good money, and made them into prominent names in the industry, and I did that for some time. Um, in the middle, I had this idea once to commoditize education. I'm all about education, and I started to build this platform that was supposed to basically be this place where people can upload their education and sell it, and I wanted to take what is uh, Harvard level education and commoditize it. I wanted to connect. I believe in peer to peer education. I think remove the middle, remove the institutions. If someone's a great investor, if someone's a great rose gardener, if someone's a great whatever, connect the student direct to that person, not the teachers who just take theory. So I started to build this platform. I don't know technology. I don't know coding. I got, I built an office in India. I got completely blown away, millions of dollars wasted. I was shutting the whole operation down. And that very day, my now wife at that time, girlfriend comes running up to me and says, have you seen this? And she shows me Udemy. So here it was somebody else in the world in Turkey and three guys in a garage building the very company that I was trying to build almost. I mean, it was almost like they had a camera in my head. So it's a huge failure, but 
that didn't stop me from wanting to build that. I came back and turned learn. That's why the name learn exists, by the way. It's a generic name because it was supposed to be a generic educational platform. However, I, I, did, I, I lost a lot of money, went to near bankruptcy during that time, came back and decided to build a company that would be an educational platform, but for entrepreneurs. So now I was really tripling down on becoming a publishing house. Now, I'll tell you the challenge with being a publishing house. You in the direct marketing world, funnels, copy, paid ads, these require a very special skill set. This skill set is not readily available on the internet. Most people that are really good at this skill set are out there doing it for themselves. So hiring the right team was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. It was the biggest challenge I ever conquered. And I was struggling and I was slogging and working 20 hour days and I was making great money, but I was miserable. I wasn't happy at this point. I'm married and I'm not, it was just a miser, it was miserable. 2020, the business blows up post COVID and I'm making more money than I've ever made in my life and I'm miserable. So I finally decide to really pour money into hiring. I go and I hire the best of the best of the best of the best. Okay. And I work with them and I, and we got it. It took forever. <laughs> and by, Early 2022, we were good. I had someone ready to step in as a CEO for me. I had my team running. We had a system down. We were scaling. In 2022, we were going to do $40 million in revenue. We were climbing and climbing. And my wife and I were expecting our first baby in April. So on April 21st, I'm also in the middle of getting acquired. I have an acquisition offer on the table. We've gone through due diligence. I'm going to have the entrepreneurial dream. April, I'll have my baby. And I was hoping to be acquired by July or August. May comes, I come back to work. I decide I'm stepping down as CEO. I'm going to name my right hand as CEO. He, he's going to get to shepherd the company through this acquisition. And once the company gets acquired, I'm taking a year off. I'm going to be dad. And I'm going to go back, regroup, figure out what the next project is that I want to launch. And I'll get to come back a year or so. So I get the entrepreneurial dream. My dream was to sell, build and sell a company by the time I'm 40. I was just turning 40. I was a year before 40. I was like, this is amazing. I did it, right? Did the company get as big as I wanted? No. Was it still going to be an amazing story? Heck yes. All right. So it took forever to figure that out, to build a system, to be able to step down. And I'm proud of what we built till this day. Love what we did. May, third week of May. I'm back in the office for only three days from paternity leave. And I get the dreaded FedEx package in the mail from the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, which for anyone who's not in the United States who doesn't know what that is, it's a regulatory body from the government, it's a federal government regulatory body that oversees consumer-related matters, commerce, basically. And I was told in that letter, which was 31 pages, that the FTC would like to be closer to me for the next coming months. And that was another way of saying they want to investigate me. Well, even as I talk about it today, my stomach falls to the bottom of my, like my heart falls to the bottom of my stomach because everything shattered that moment. I wasn't going to get to step down as CEO anymore. I wasn't going to get acquired anymore. And here's the irony. May of 2022 was going to be a record-breaking month for us. It was 15 years of me trying to figure out how to build that type of business, the publishing company. I had just nailed it it ended up not being a record-breaking month. Within two days of receiving that notice, I shut down 80% of my business, not because they made me, but because I'm a publishing company. So obviously the people who I publish, I'm not gonna hide this from them, even though I wasn't required to tell them, I was gonna tell them. And the minute I told them, what do you think they would ask me? 
It asked me to shut down their promotions, of course. So I shut it down beforehand. 80% of my 40 million a year, what was projected to be 40 million a year company, poof, gone in a matter of seconds. And I had to lay off about 80% of my team within three days. My life turned upside down. And in the end, it came down to just a few things being said in the marketing that they did not like that were against the rules. And it turned my entire life and my, I mean, it was, it was, it was, it's a crazy time. And I'm telling you what proceeded after that, the 18 months investigation took 18 months to close it, to settle. Um, am I alive? Am I good? Am I, am I more blessed than 99% of people in the world? Yes. I'm grateful for it. But the 18 months was, as I put it for those 18 months. And even since then, I would say I have been where hell goes when hell has been bad. <laughs> right. I was going to say, most people look forward to receiving a FedEx package. You know what I mean? Normally, it's a, it's a nice thing that arrives. So that must have been quite a shock just in itself. But then for everything to unravel off the back. And as you say, I guess a lot of your um, your your colleagues, your, your co-publishers, if you like, they're worried about the contagion that they may also then become part of the investigation. Yeah. And, and, and two of them did. Two, two of them did. And how, how do you manage that? I mean, you're a human being, right? It's, it's such a yeah. horrible thing to happen to you. And, and a lot of people think, oh, you know, you know, you're a businessman, so, you know, it's fine. You can take it on the chin and whatever. But how did that affect you personally, Anik? Oh, it's, uh, oh man, I, it, it's hard to explain. Uh, so till this day, by, by the way, first of all, as, as a funny side note, um, I have PTSD in the sense of, uh, don't hand me a FedEx package or a certified letter. Yeah. Um, I immediately, I immediately have an impulse. I just have a reaction to it. I have a repulsive reaction because that wasn't the only thing that happened to me. It, it really is crazy that when it rains, it pours because right around this time is when the interest rates hike started happening. So my wife and I, we have all this real estate that was tenanted by this really large company, this secure hundred year old big company conglomerate that's safe to have a debt with. They go bankrupt. So now I have this massive debt to the banks on my head. Don't know how to pay that. Uh, we have a property issue with one of our properties in Florida. Uh, we have uh, other issues that come up left, right. We have an issue with an uh, investment made back in 2016 and years ago that now is being looked at. It had nothing to do with us. We were just one of the investors. And so it's not a thing against us, but it's something that we need to think about and worry about. I mean, these are all being delivered to me in what? FedEx packages or certified letters. So. Till this day, I see us. I, I put my hands up. I'm like, I don't want it. Someone else open it. Tell me what it is before. Who, who's getting sued? What's going on? Um, personally, what it does, man, is it messes you up. There's no other way to put it. I'm not going to try to sit here and sugarcoat stuff. Yeah. You go through the biggest emotional roller coaster on a daily basis. One morning you wake up and you are like, I am going to take over the world. This is going to be the best comeback story. And everyone, da, 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 da. The next day, you are like, what's the point? You're depressed. You don't want to do anything. Why did this happen to me? I mean, if you think about it, I had a multi-deca million acquisition going through approved and done. Gone. I had a $40 million a year company. I wasn't in the weeds anymore. I was about to step down as CEO and I was going to live my life going around racing my cars and going to shooting ranges and hanging out with my kids and 
gone, poof, in a second. You have to take a minute to really process the speed with which that goes and the whiplash that, that you feel from it. And I, everyone ha handles it differently. Listen, there have been people that have been investigated by the FTC that had a heart attack and died. There have been people that have been investigated by the FTC who committed suicide. Mm -hmm. And I knew about this. I researched it. And I obviously wasn't going to be one of them. But you can imagine the torture that it plays on its mind. Now, people think this is because the FTC or the government comes in and they smack you around and they do this and do that. I can't speak to what the FTC and the government has done in other cases, but I can speak to mine. It was nothing like that. It was nothing like that. I got the document. They were cordial the entire time, professional. They gave extensions and there were no threats. We weren't told we have to shut down our business, but that doesn't matter. In the end, you still have a 3,000 pound gorilla with an unlimited budget and unlimited power and you don't know what they're going to do every morning you wake up. Here's a crazy story. One time I walked into the office and there was an unmarked car standing outside the office. It even had that little squeakly light thing that police cars have um, outside the driver's side. I was thoroughly convinced it was someone from the FBI watching me. I mean, your mind starts to play tricks on you. I walked in and I tell my front desk person, I said, watch for that. I'm calling my lawyer. I'm calling my wife saying I might get taken in. Pay attention. My lawyer's telling me on the phone. He's like, what are you doing? No, there's no one there. That's not how they work. I'm like, I'm telling you, there's someone here. Only to go and find out half an hour later, it was a car bought on an impound from one of the people that services our buildings. Your brain plays tricks on you. And this goes on for months. It's, it's, a, it's a torture. And so, and you've got that. You're trying to save the company because you want to save the team. You're trying to make sure you spend the countless hours in discovery required to submit the documents that the government's looking for. You're trying to pay all the bills. You're I, I had just become a father. And as the 18-month process went on, we had a second child. So now I've got kids at home. I've got a wife at home. I've got these investments that are going south. I've got banks calling me. I've got the FTC to handle. I've got a business to save. I've got a business to build. <sighs> You're in the middle of a perfect storm for you at that, yeah. at that point. Um, I mean, emotionally, it, it must take its toll, as, as you say. And, you know, the fact that we're here having this conversation, Anik, and also what you've decided to do next off the back of this you mentioned earlier how it was just a few things that you had said could we just explore that for a moment for anybody listening who perhaps sure. is thinking hang on a second you know if, if it can happen to Anik, it can happen to me maybe um so yeah what if maybe few of the the red flags that were pointed out to you that 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 caused you to become in the crosshairs of the of the ftc like that this can happen to anybody, whether it, the, it is the FTC or it is some other regulatory body, if you live outside the US, it could be a state government, state AG, it could be a class action lawsuit by your customers. It can be multitude of things that can completely come in and disrupt everything about your life. Now, of course, every different body has different authority. For me, the future as I'm now living it was carved one night. And one night, it was around 8 or 9 o'clock, and I was in the lows of lows. I was really feeling it. Because one of the things, and the trap that you don't want to fall into, everyone I'm telling you right now, at any, time, at any point in life, when you get, if you get to a place where you're low, the trap that's very difficult to come out of is the why me trap. 
if you start going through the why did this happen to me, look at so-and-so, look at so-and-so, look at so-and-so, why me, why me, you just can't dig yourself out of that. That's a very difficult place to be. So I refuse to ever allow myself to get into it. The very first thing I did when this whole thing happened is I took ownership. I took accountability. I don't agree with the investigation. I don't agree with the outcome. I settled due to other reasons and, and the need for peace. I respect the FTC and the organization. We disagree, that's okay, we can do that. But I took ownership over it. I am where I am today because of decisions and things, I, decisions I've made, things I've done. A friend of mine told me once and it stuck with me forever, life doesn't happen to you, it happens for you. Anything in your life you're going through right now doesn't happen to you, it's happening for you. And so I took this moment and I said, all right, so one night, eight, nine o'clock, whatever, I'm sitting there, I'm at the lows of lows, I catch myself self-reflective, I know what's happening, I said, we're not gonna go down this hole, I'm not gonna fall into that little pity party, so what can we do right now? And I said, you know what? If I don't feel good right now, the only way I think I can make myself feel better is if I make someone else feel better. So the worse I feel, the more value I will pour into the, to the world. The worse I feel, the worse place I feel like I'm at, the more value I'm going to pour into the world. And that's actually why I created this Facebook group called the Expert Scale Facebook Community, where I thought, if I can't scale my business right now because of where I am, I'm going to teach other people how to scale their businesses. I'm going to serve them for free, nothing. I'm going to put good into the world. The universe has to recognize that. There is no way it doesn't have a byproduct, it doesn't have an end result. So I'm going to do more. The worse I feel, the more I do. And that became my fighting mantra. And that led me to where I am today, where I said, you know, I, I remember hearing something on a podcast, I was at a gym from Ed Milet that changed a lot of my approach during this investigation and what I wanted to do after it. And he said, your best customer is the person you used to be. And I thought, man, there's some brilliance in that, right? So, so back to your question of what were some of the things. So the, the FTC, doesn't like when you make claims and it doesn't like when you imply the specific results that somebody else will get. Now, if you get on a four hour webinar about a product that you love and believe in and you start to go at it and you are selling it, I'm sorry, but I would feel most people in this world will end up saying something that could be considered as non-compliant. Listen, you could be the best driver in the world. If, if I follow you around long enough, you're going to roll through a stop sign, cross a red light. You're going to do something that I can say, ah, ha, ha, driving infraction. So initially the document I got had sentences and things in there from some of the webinars and things I had done. They had thoroughly looked at me. You could tell they had watched things that were old. I wasn't even using them anymore, but they still existed on the internet. So based on that, it was enough to say, hey, we'd like to investigate you to see what else you are doing. Now, some rules have changed and laws have changed. It's a long explanation, but basically it's a little bit harder for them to come and collect money and fines based off of things you've said on web-based sales, what we call one-to-many sales, sales pages, videos, webinars. But it's enough to open an investigation. And when they opened the investigation with me, they quickly discovered that I had a telesales operation, meaning I was having people sold on the phone one to one, an area where they still have a lot of governance and the ability to collect fines and money. 
So my investigation quickly became more centered around the one-to-one -one phone sales activity. Now, the irony of this is I've spent over a million dollars in the past trying to make sure that we were fully compliant with legal fees and with checks. I had a full-time paralegal in my company before we even got investigated, and her job entirely was to listen to every sales call that led to a sale because I wanted nothing unethical and nothing un un unfair said to my customers. We actually had the lowest conversions on our phone than any other operation because I was so heavy on them. However, there was one thing I did not know about. I was not told about by my attorneys and it made it into our scripts. And that was enough. And that was what my entire case came down to. Four words. What is your goal? That question on a one-to-one -one phone call is an implied earnings claim because here's how it's going to go. The person on the other hand says, I'd like to make $10,000 a month so I can quit my job. And of course, the salesperson on the other side says, great, we can help you get there. Implied earnings claim. It's called goal setting. There's no regulations or rules written about it. Nothing anywhere says you can't do it, but they collapse it under the terms of implied earnings claims. And my entire case came down to those four words pretty much. Now, I'm not saying if those four words had not existed that my case would have disappeared. But I am saying, based off of what my attorney has told me, is if those four words didn't exist on my sales calls, everything else about my sales calls were fine. They were clean because I had a very good process in place. Everything else about my sales calls was great. If those four words did not exist, the case would have been drastically different is what I'm told from my attorneys. So can you imagine having to process that, that your life, the sale, the year off, the freedom, the dream coming true by the time you turn 40, everything came down to four words. And I, and I had my scripts and things reviewed by attorneys. They never got triggered. So you could be doing the right things. You could be taking the right steps. You could have all the right intentions, but you could still make a mistake. In the eyes of others, you can then come after you. So yeah, life can throw you lemons real fast and you just, you can't ever prepare for everything. What were the FTC after? I mean, what was their um, preferred outcome to this investigation? You know, they don't really ever say. So one of the things that's interesting, and so I, if I answered that question, I would be inferring. I'm happy to give you a guess. Um, you know, I, I, from my experience, but have to say, guys, they never said any of this. And this is just me guessing. Um, so first of all, it's not like I get to talk to them much throughout the process. The lawyers talk to them. Um, I got a chance to meet them once. I have a really funny story from that meeting. It's a story worth exploring. It's just irony, but it was very important to me. It was a very pivotal moment in my, in the case for my psyche. But I got to meet them once. I got to go into the FTC and do a presentation, saw them for about an hour. Beyond that, the FTC, there's, there's no gray there. It's black and white. You're good, you're evil. It's no middle. So as far as I was concerned, from the, at least the way they approached us, that was evil. However, look, there was someone else I know who got an investigative document a week before I got mine. Now that person had done some, I don't want to be judgmental, but they had done some things that I felt made them deserving of it. I'm sure other people would sit there and say, I've done things that made me deserving of it, and it's fine. But I, their case was a lot more clear cut. There was a lot more fraud involved. And you know what? The FTC bulldozed through that case in six or seven months. I happen to know more about the case intimately just because I know the people behind it. And some of it is hearsay, but I, I trust the hearsay. 
the same time, my case took 18 months. And so I do believe that with mine, they had to dig deeper and with mine, they had to make a case. It, when they have an easy case and it's just there, they'll go finish and move on. Um, they want you to stop is what they want you to do. I think in an ideal world, they want you gone. They want your business to stop. Do they say that? No. Am I banned or injuncted from being in the industry? No. Are some people that, yes, some people do get banned. The individual I'm speaking about who, uh, who, whose business got shut down and I mean, whose, whose investigation got shut down in six, seven months and over, they're banned. They're banned from being in the industry for some time. I'm not. So there's definitely grades. I, I, I say black or white and there's no gray, but there is gray. They, it comes in the way they approach you and the time and the, and the judgment eventually they give you. But what do they want? They want reparations for the consumers. They want to collect as much money as they can back so they can give it back to the consumers. And they want you to stop doing whatever it is that they don't want you to do. And so there's a big myth out there that people think the FTC is a money grab and that they're going out and grabbing all this money and keeping it and using it to fund the wars of the government. There's a lot of conspiracy crap out there about this. And I'm actually here and I believed it. I actually thought the money that they take, they just keep and they like hoard and go, hey, and then they use it to be more evil and go after more people. This is what I thought prior. It's not that actually at all. They give every penny of it back to your consumers. They don't keep a penny. So they probably spent a million dollars out of their time investigating me because they had to do 18 months plus the time they spent before they sent me that document. So, and, and those are expensive lawyers, investigators, they put multiple people on you. So I'm sure they invested a million plus dollars of their money in, in, in my process. They don't recover any of that. The money that I turned over goes straight back to the consumers. So uh, really all they want, money back to consumers and they want you to stop doing the things that they don't like you doing. And prior to this, Anik, you had no prior knowledge um, that they may be investigating. This just came totally out of the blue. So, um, yeah, I look, I have been in business for 20 years. I have never been sued by a single customer. I've never had a state AG complaint. I've never had a merchant account problem. I've never had a chargeback problem. I, my BBB rating is an A. My trust pilot was great. My customers love me. I have a $4 million facility that I'm in every single day. I show up. I've never had people come and Google me. I, I, I sit on webinars. I say, Google me. There's very few internet marketers who have been around for 20 years who say, Google me. There's not bad stuff about me. I'm a good person. I do good things by, by people. I treat people well. And... Um, the only thing is that in October of 2021, apparently, uh, there was a warning letter released. And I use quotes because I, I disagree with the fact that it was a warning letter uh, with like 700 or plus, like 1,000 plus companies' names on it. And uh, it had names like Amazon and Uber and Lyft and all these big companies too. And at the top of the letter, I got to see it later. I never got it. We actually have physical evidence of me never receiving the letter in the mail. Um, but eventually when I saw it, the Learn's name was on that. And so according to the FTC, that was like, hey, we warned you. Um, but at the same time, it's a letter is, is kind of funny because at the very top it says, just by, just by having, I'm paraphrasing, but it says something like, just by having your name on this letter doesn't mean that you're actually doing anything wrong. Then I, you know, so even had I received it, I don't know how I would have, how I would have received it, how I would have looked at it. Um, my assumption at that point was they took a thousand of the largest advertisers and just sent it to them. I was spending about almost a million dollars a month on paid ads. So, all right, you know, I got under the radar. I, I didn't think that that was a proper warning, but 
they say it was, and it was a letter I never received. And they say, we sent it. That's your problem. So, um, but beyond that, no, I, I didn't have any, I had no issue. We had 63,000 transactions in a three-year window. And we still managed to keep a BBB rating of an A and make our customers happy. 36 minute response time, 24 seven holidays included. I had three support teams worldwide, eight, eight, eight hour shifts running. We treated our customers like they were the, they were not like they were the most important thing in the company. I built a company, I tracked the KPIs, I measured everything and I made sure we were a strong, solid, amazing business. And I burned millions of dollars doing that. And I did it on purpose because I knew we're a heavily regulated industry. And I wanted to make sure that we never got into the, the web of all of this. Ironically, we still did though. And you, at this point, you have your $40 million company. You've had to shut down, as you say, 80% of the company. You've got expensive lawyers, I'm sure, that are on with you all the time to try and navigate through this. <laughs> What was the outcome, Anik? What what actually happened towards the end? And and did the end come quickly? I know you said it's a, an 18-month process, but when the end came, did it come really quickly or was that a drawn-out process too? No, no, it was drawn out. Um, I think we were finally done. So we started turning over things and started working on the case by June of 2022. And I think it was finally in January of 2023 that we said here is all of the documents we have so we we took about six seven months and digging a little bit more because then they came back in feb and march we were still giving some documents over i think i went to see them in march um, i think they delivered their official complaint letter to us sometime in march or april we negotiated over that for a month or two then we got into the negotiations of the actual dollar amount that took a couple of months then once we agreed on the dollar amount and we had something to sign, it took a couple of months. It actually took three months to get the commissioners at the FTC to sign off on it. So, I mean, it dragged on until the end of 2023, which is why I say it took 18 months. Um, it was not, it was not fast. It was slow. Um, it was thorough. And in some ways I appreciate that. Um, and in some ways it sucks, right? Like if I had someone come to me today, and said, hey, I got this notice from the FTC, my advice to them would be move fast. Don't drag it. Just just look, once you get a CID, it's called, called a CID, Civil Investigative Demand, they're guilty. Like I, the chances of them getting, they've already researched you. They have what they want. I just want, these are from my lawyer, by the way, too. I'm not making stuff up. I, I would just say, look, you're, you're going to pay a fine. You're going to do something. Just get to it. You know, um, save yourself in legal fees. I spent two, my my fine eventually was two and a half million dollars, which is um, heavily determined by your ability to pay, which is just so unfair because there are people that have done far far worse things and gotten away with paying a two hundred thousand dollar fine because they were idiots and they were broke, um, and they got almost rewarded for it. So I have some thoughts there, but again, my opinions. I'm allowed to have opinions, and uh, they do what they need to do and they, they do it their way, and I respect it. But um, my we, there's a lot of things that go into determining how the fine was determined. A lot of people online, I saw some people, not a lot. I've been very blessed by how this was received by the industry. Um, I've been very, very supported. And But some people were like, oh, my God, I can't believe Onik has only had $2.5 million to his name. Guys, they don't, they don't take every penny to your name. It's not how it works. Um, there's no point in settling. Why would I settle if every dollar I have to my name disappeared? Obviously, then you're incentivized to go to court. Um, it's a, it's a settlement, right? Both parties come to the table and agree. I mean, it's, it's a two way thing. Um, 
but I spent about one to one point two million dollars in legal fees. Um, I spent about one to one and a half million dollars in staff cost of discovery, um, and I lost at least ten to fifteen million dollars of opportunity cost, which is profit that I would have been making in the business that we had finally streamlined, and I lost a multi-deca million dollar acquisition. Yeah. So for the people that look and say, oh my God, I'm like two and a half million dollars. That's not so bad, man. You've made millions. You got off easy. Let's talk about the fact that my hair was fully black before this whole thing started. And last time I got a haircut, half my hair was white. Let's talk about the fact that if you try to hand me a certified letter, I'll freak out. Let's talk about the fact that it's at least 150 nights of sleepless nights. Let's talk about the fact that sometimes even till this day, you'll see me staring at a wall blankly. Let's talk about the fact that there was I have a chronic health condition that's been flaring, that flared nonstop for over a year, gained 20 plus pounds. Let's talk about the fact that, you know, there's just so many things that, that aren't talked about that I'm going to talk about in my book that I, I specifically say, you know, one of the things I find the most offensive is when someone looks at me, it's, it's such a naive and stupid comment to say, oh my God, two and a half million dollars. You just don't know. <laughs> you just don't know. It's like, it's like telling someone who goes to jail uh, for five years. I actually had a, I, I knew someone that went to jail and I was the dumb idiot who said this to them. Um, he was a young guy. Uh, he went to jail when he was 20. He had to go to jail for five years. And I was interviewing him. And I said, hey, at least it's only five years. You, you were out by the time you're 25. You know, you have your whole life. And the guy just looks at me. He's like, he said it to me in the interview. He's like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Anymore. He's like, do you even know what that means? Do you even know what those five years were like? Do you even know what, that, what that's done to me for the rest of my life? Do you know the five years I missed? He's like, I missed I, I, my, my, my girlfriend who I had been with for 10 years since I was 10 years old. You know, I couldn't marry her. I left. I watched her marry someone else. Like, it was just like, it was crazy to watch and to listen and, and then to go through this. And I'm like, people tell me, oh, it's just two and a half million dollars. I'm like, no, it's not. It was 20 years of my life yeah. um, is, is what I feel like, right? So uh, yeah, it's, it's been interesting. And you've got the stress that goes with that, as you say. I mean, um, how important was the support of your family at that point, Anik? Great question. So my wife, ugh, man, for all the men out there, find a woman like the one I have, man. Just <laughs> strong as can be and was like probably more riled up than me. I mean, there were times where she was like, bring it on. Let's go. And I'm like, oh, calm down, Tiger. Like, you know. She's, we were about ready to settle. She's like, screw this settlement. Let's go all in. Let's take it on the court. This is bullshit. And I'm like, right, you know, it's all reason, a bunch of reasons not to do that. Um, man, I, I wouldn't have been able to do it without her. She was just, you know, I, and I have people that I got chance to meet um, once I got my FTC notice. Because you go out talking to and meeting others who have been through it. And I've met like two or three at least that got divorced during the time. And, um, now, my wife was a huge part of it. Um, having my child, which was, it's like, it sucked so much that this happened a month, less than a month after my, it was three weeks after my daughter was born. Um, actually, yeah, close three to four weeks after my daughter was born. As much as that sucked, I think my daughter got me through it um, because I always had something to go back to that would just make me smile. Even until this day, I go home at night, right? No matter how much I've been beat up throughout the day, when she comes running to give you a hug, it's all gone. Right, instantly melts away. I've got two baby girls now that that really have helped me through. Um, my friend circle. I talk. You know, I can't talk enough about my team. Why are they still here? It's crazy. Leave. Go. This is nuts. Why are you voluntarily dealing with this bullshit? Right. When the ship is sinking, it's like I gotta stay. You all should go. 
And they're like, no. I'm like, please, go, no. I can't afford to pay you right now, fine. Leave, no. Like, all right. You know, I, it, it's just, it, it's a burden, but it's also so humbling to just know like, wow. Because like, sometimes when you're going through this, sometimes you start to question yourself. You start to hear the things that they're saying about you, the questions they're asking, and you start to say, dang, am I, am I a wolf in sheep's clothes? Am, am I bad? Have I been a bad human? Have I hurt people? Like you start to ask yourself this stuff. And, and I was really getting into it. I'm a very spiritual person. And so I really believe in God and the impact of God. And throughout this whole time, um, there was something that happened at the FTC's headquarters that I thought was God just letting me know, no, you are not a bad person. But um, my team really helped me through it, man. They're still here. Not one person left me. Not one person who I didn't unfortunately have to ask to leave me left me. And that was such a, such a humbling thing. My friends, uh, my customers, the industry, I was open about it. I talked about it. Everyone's like, hey, what can we do to support? What can we do to get you back up? Like, we love you. This is crap. We don't want you to go through this. The only people I never told was my parents until the settlement was written. And I knew we were good and we were settling. I did not tell them because they just would not be able to handle it. I did not want to put them through that. What I went through for 18 months, oh, hell no. I don't want to put them through that. So the day we had an official agreement and I was signing the settlement, I called my dad. I said, I want to talk to you. And I told him. And uh, I, I stand by that decision. I think it was a good decision. Didn't tell my sister. Didn't tell family. Um, but... Uh, yeah, man, I, I came out of this. Unfortunately, I feel bad because a lot of people come out of things like this realizing they have no support. I came out of this realizing, damn, I'm blessed because I had so much support. And you say you had like a, a sign from from God when you got to the FTC offices. This is a this is a great story. Can you share with us what happened? Uh, it was till this day. I mean, every time I tell the story, I just um, yeah, I, I just get goosebumps. So if the person is watching. If I've reached this person, please reach out to me. Um, because when we met, I could not get your name and take a picture with you. I didn't think it was appropriate. But meeting you that moment was a, was a huge thing for me. And I want to be able to meet you again. I want to be able to say hi and thank you. But so when you walk into the FTC building, it's a government building. You go through kind of like the airport security, okay? So to get into the main corridor. Now, when you get into the main corridor, you were told the FTC building. So I guess it's multiple buildings that get to one lobby. I don't know how it works. I was too, I was too distracted at the time and thinking about my presentation to like look around. It was a beautiful building. So you like kind of walk this way and then you walk up and like that will be the entrance to the FTC building. And the FTC building has its own security. So the doors are locked and you have to like knock on the door and then get buzzed open. So anyways, I was behind. I had like six, seven people with me. I had my two lawyers. I had a team of four or five people. So I was like hanging back for a second. I'm going to use the restroom. I'll meet you guys. So when I get there, they're already inside. I knock, the door opens. I walk in and the like the security table is kind of surrounded by them. And all of a sudden my team kind of like made a little space and there's a head security guard sitting at the table right under the Federal Trade Commission sign. And he looks at me and he just goes, Onik? Holy crap. I love you, man. I follow all your stuff. I've been following you for years. And he's like, what the hell are you doing here? And I remember being in shock and looking at him and I just kind of pointed to the trade commission sign. I was like, well, like that. And he just goes, man, and it was the best, most crazy feeling. 
So I walk up to him. So of course my lawyer comes running. He's like, oh, tell me, no, 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 no. Right? So we shake hands. He's like, man, I've been following you for years. Love your stuff. He's like, but I've only taken your free courses. I've never bought any one of your courses, but I really feel like you've had such an impact on my life. So I get a little emotional when I talk about this story because I, I needed to hear that. Look, I needed to hear that at that moment that I had made a positive impact on someone's life because I was starting to get convinced that I was a horrible human. And that was probably the hardest thing to deal with of the entire thing. Right. And, um, to hear him say that, that's all I remember. I blanked out after that. And so I remember the, uh, the attorney from the FTC who was, uh, who was responsible for the case. He came down. It was really awkward where we shake hands and my attorney is like, yeah, you got to talk to your guy here. You know, he's, um, you know, and, and one of my slides in my presentation was that, hey, we don't just only sell courses. I have, I have, uh, I have free courses. We, we, I try to help. I try to help all the people all over the world, even those who can't afford it. So we're like told him like, hey. And so the guy, security guard, said something to the attorney as like a small thing. And we get in the elevator. It's only a few floors. The weirdest, awkwardest, longest elevator ride ever. It's quiet. And the attorney from the FTC side, he just goes, well, that's a first. That's how he broke the silence. He said, that, that's a first. And we're all like, what? We had kind of forgotten. We're like, what? My, my attorney's like, what are you talking about? He's like, that. What happened in the lobby? Our security guard recognizing one of our, you know, like you. And that's all he said about it. That's all he ever said. He's like, oh, maybe I should go. No, he said one more thing. He's like, maybe I should go talk to him. We're like, yeah, you should. And, and for me, it felt like God said in the building of my accusers, lives a man whose life I've influenced positively. So how can you say you're a bad person or you've done bad? I never asked myself that question after that day. I let that go. I was convinced thoroughly at that point that no, I'm not a bad person. Maybe some bad luck or made some poor decisions that led me into this place. But no, I'm not, not a wolf. I've not been hurting people. I have made a positive impact. It was a really, really important part. I'm really grateful that God put that person there because I needed that. You just have to have a look on your social media feed as well, Anik, to see there's a lot of love for you and for what you do. Yep. And also what you are doing now off the back of this, which is, again, helping people. You, you mentioned before the book, and I also believe you have a, a podcast as well. Can you tell us a little bit about yeah. those two things? Yeah, yeah, thank you. So, um, and, and you know what, honestly, I think that was another selfish reason I started pouring so much value into the world. The byproduct of that was to hear from people the influence and impact I was having and had had. I needed that. That was the currency that kept me going. I didn't make any money during this whole time. I was losing money, burning money left and right, literally burned millions of dollars. Um, and But the best currency I had was someone telling me, you've helped me. That's it. Three words, you've helped me, was the best bank deposit I could make. Um, somewhere along the process, as I'm dealing with all the attorneys, one of my attorneys who I'm now business partners with on the book and on the podcast, I just never knew the extent of what I didn't know. Most people think that, look, getting in trouble with the FTC is all complaint-driven process. You have to get a volume of complaints against you. And I didn't have a volume of complaints against me. So I was like, I'm good. I'm not hurting people, so I won't get looked at. But that turns out not to be the case. If you're breaking the rules, you're breaking the rules, period, right? Mm -hmm. So the rules you have to understand thoroughly. I got them, kind of. And, you know, in hindsight, I look back and I'm like, all 
I probably shouldn't have said that. Oh my gosh, why did I do that? So I'm not saying like, oh my God, I'm completely innocent. I, I see some of the things and I see the perspective of the FTC. Um, and some parts I'm like, okay, I get it. Some parts I disagree with, but I started to learn from this attorney, Greg, and I'm like, dang, man, if I don't know this in 20 years of being in the industry, there are just so many people that don't know this. And I want those who are small right now, small, okay, people that they call themselves small. If you're making multi-six figures, less than multi-six figures, a couple million, I want you to know now, learn now, because you want to grow big, you want to get there. Please set the right habits from day one, because it's very difficult to change them when you're like five times bigger than you are today. And when you're five or six times bigger, you're definitely going to come into the radar. And you might come into the radar today. Listen, we know about settlements and cases where the FTC has settled with someone for their watch or the settlement has been as low as $15,000. So there's a lot of people out there misinforming, saying you're too small. You're not. The rules are the rules. The FTC does not care because they don't make any money from you. You're not paying the FTC. You're there doing consumer redress. So get that thought out of your head. People think, well, the FTC wants to make millions of dollars. They're not gonna come after the small guys because they keep the money. They don't keep the money. So whether they go after a small person, big person, they don't care, right? So. I halfway through, I'm like, no, I got to turn my mess into a message. I got to turn my mess into my message. I got to get this word out. I got to teach people what I'm learning because if I don't know it, they definitely don't know it. And I see it all around me. My closest friends making mistakes left, right, front and back. And I'm like, please stop, stop. You don't want to deal with what I dealt with. It is hell upon hell. And so if I can help even one person stop. So that was where we decided we're going to do a podcast. We came and I've tried to make compliance fun, right? So we call it don't say that instead of like FTC compliance rules. No one wants to watch that. So like, hey, now what I'm doing is I'm, I'm architecting as I'm doing it. I'm architecting a compliant marketing model. So how do you, because a lot of people are like, well, if I can't say this and I can't say that, what the hell am I supposed to say? I'm not going to make any money. No, I'm building a business now compliantly. There is a way to do it and you can do it. You get better customers. It's a better business. It lasts you a lot longer. You have just just, it's better. Believe it or not, I'm actually really enjoying what I'm doing now. So uh, we have this book called Don't Say That. I have my next book already being worked on, which will be all about my compliant marketing model. We have our podcast that we do every week where we talk about different things you can and cannot do and the different things happening in the regulatory world, which I think everyone should be tuning into. We're going to be using it as an instructional place to teach you how to do things like things you might be doing right now that aren't compliant. Like, okay, value stacking. This package is worth $38,000. All right, let's talk about that because that is not allowed to be done, right? Your testimonial usage, your own stories, case studies, all of this we, we teach. So don't say that.com has our podcast and it has um, our book that you can grab. And um, we have virtual events we're going to be doing. We have live events we're going to be doing. We have an audit service that we've launched. Uh, where we do a quick assessment of your marketing to give you an idea, and then we can do a full-blown audit. We have a software coming out that's fully AI-powered that can monitor live your entire business 24-7, social media posts, your ads, your copy, your sales calls to make sure you're staying compliant. I mean, we are diving full headfirst into this um, to, to, to really help businesses all over the world because even if you're in Australia, Canada, whatever, uh, you can still come into the wraps of, of FTC violations, state AGs, class action lawsuits. We want to help protect you against all of that. Alec, tell us once again the, the, the web address we need to head to to find out more about the book and, and the podcast and, and the virtual and in-person events that you're planning. 
So um, don'tsaythat.com has, has our podcast, has the book. Um, ComplianceSummit.com, so ComplianceSummit.com. Well, if it's virtual or if it's in person, whatever the next one coming up, you can, you can, you can register your spot for the event there. And then also, if you want to learn more from the marketing side from me, where if you're like, man, I, enough about this FTC stuff on it, teach me how to scale a business, teach me a copywriting, teach me funnels, teach me ad buying, teach me community building, go to expertscale.com and join our Facebook group and join our email newsletter where I'm constantly every day teaching how to build businesses online. So we've got both sides. I'll teach you how to build a business and I'll teach you how to do it compliantly. Expertscale.com, don't say that.com. Wonderful. I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure. I wish the subject matter would have been maybe slightly different, but still, thank you for sharing your, your knowledge, your insight and your story, which is, I'm sure you're, you're glad it's behind you. Yes, I am. Hey, thank you for having me. And for those who are listening, seriously, thank you for listening. Um, thank you for taking this seriously enough to listen. Um, and you know, I always say one thing at the end of everything I ever say, which is when life pushes you, which it inevitably will, stand straight, smile, and push it the heck back. Thanks. Thanks.